0: We're getting later on into summer, and Jesse Browns is saying goodbye to some of our favorite products with 25% off. Several sun shirts, shorts, and sandals are marked down and waiting for you to buy, so visit the store or the website www.jessebrowns.com to celebrate this summer's savings. Plus, there is no tax on waiters, boots, backpacks, clothing, and more August 5th through the 7th as we get ready for back to school and back to fishing. Celebrate with us at Jesse Brown's Outdoors and www.jessebrowns.com.
1: Welcome back to the Carolina Outdoors. Over at Jesse Brown's Outdoors, we are fans of getting people of all backgrounds into nature. But we are truly advocates of introducing youth to the outdoors, one of the oldest largest and perhaps best known avenues of doing that is through scouting. Of course, with scouting, it's not all about nature and adventure. There's plenty of leadership, responsibility, and stewardship training as well. With the number of former scouts and Eagle Scouts amongst our ranks at Jesse Brown's, it's time for us to delve into the pinnacle of scouting, Philmont Scout Ranch. Christopher, you're an Eagle Scout and have made the trip to the hallowed grounds of Philmont, New Mexico. Break it down for us. What is Philmont Scout Ranch?
0: That's right, Wes. You know, Philmont Scout Ranch is a magical place in so many different ways, and it's one of those hallmarks of the scouting experience that so many uh, scouts and leaders have the opportunity to head out west and hit the trails for this high adventure camp that is run by the Boy Scout program And for those who maybe aren't familiar or as familiar with Philmont Scout Ranch, it is located in New Mexico, right outside of the little village of Cimarron, Mm. which, if you're looking at a map, is going to be at the northeastern portion of New Mexico, which is right on the eastern slope of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, beautiful territory, and if you've never been out there before, it is surprisingly not desert. People think this is going to be a roadrunner, Tasmanian devil mm. type of Looney Tunes experience out there with cactus and um, desert sand. But it's not. It is wilderness and it is a very mountainous area uh,
1: surrounded by just some beautiful, beautiful scenic overviews and territory when Cimarron is already at some altitude but doesn't Philmont get to nine or ten thousand feet like it, it you can get up in the clouds pretty quick you really can
0: and one thing that uh, I love to tell people this was not one of the sites that we saw while at Philmont but it is an opportunity for some crews and treks who are out on the trails to go see there was actually back in 1942 a B-24 liberator bomber that crashed on the slopes of a little mountain called Trail Peak and we always joke that um that's the the one place that scouts can go and uh pardon the pun but pee off a wing at 10,000 feet on
1: an airplane. <laughs> well, so there's that but there's also a fossilized T-Rex footprint. Yeah, yeah, that's right. This uh,
0: location is the only documented and confirmed Tyrannosaurus Rex track that is in the world. And it was discovered in 1993. It's within the park's boundaries. It was certified in 1994, and you might think, well, there's other tracks elsewhere in the world. And that is true, but that is just for the Tyrannosaurus tracks, you know, Mm. and that's splitting, not the wrecks. So splitting hairs, but the only T-Rex track footprint preserved and fossilized in the wild is at Philmont. And, you know, Philmont sits on just a little bit above 140,000 acres of wilderness. So it, it has quite a long and storied history in that community, in that area. And, um, there's so much to be discovered
1: so 140,000 acres of Philmont Scout Ranch High Adventure Program winter scouts heading out there what are we doing break all that down for us
0: reality is
1: throughout the
0: year there are different types of activities that scouts and leaders can attend and go to however the peak season is going to be through you know the late part of june ...through August, which is where the scout troops and treks and crews head out on their adventures. Um, and these are 10-day adventures. They can be a little bit shorter, maybe a little bit longer, but generally 10 days. You start out at the base camp, which is um, located right inside the entrance to the Philmont Scout Ranch. And from there, there's a, a number of different routes that crews can take. You can go on a northern route or a southern route and you cover some mileage and some elevation change while you are there. I think when I was there in 2009, we did a 10-day trek, but of course part of that consists of your first day in base camp and your last day in base camp. So if you say eight or nine days, and we covered, we documented over 100 miles, but reality is we did much more because you're you know, walking to get water or walking to get food or walking to the campsite or walking to the, you know, base campsite. So there's a lot of other walking and hiking that is involved in addition to just your regular tour route.
1: Sure. And, you know, and 10 days is no small thing, especially for um, a a group of of folks. We've outfitted a number of scout leaders and scouts for that trip, and it is always impressive to me the size of the pack that some of these folks have to carry. Now, of course, one little caveat for that is we want to fit you in the right size pack for your frame, for your body, not the biggest bag on a packing list. But when you went, was there a resupply or were you taking, you know, was your your troop taking 10 days or 8 days of Food. You said you were walking to get water. Like, were y'all self sufficient that whole time, or was there a resupply drop?
0: Well, there were resupply drops. Okay. So thankfully, we were Good. not packing in and out ten days worth of, you know, food and That's trash. Rough. That yeah. would be. Good. That would be. But you know, some treks also have the opportunity to, um, I guess take out a, is it a bureau or a burrow? Mm. <laughs> I guess it's a burrow and a pack horse. So we did not do that. We packed everything on our backs, but there were resupply stations, probably about three or maybe four throughout the entire trek. I'd say probably three because there were days that we carried three days worth of food, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, whatever else we needed. And I actually thought the food was pretty good. I mean, there was one day that we had a whole pack of Oreos that we could eat. <laughs> <laughs> we you had like na- name brand stuff like bumblebee tuna and Ritz crackers. So we uh, had some good culinary uh, experiences while out on the trail.
1: Well, you know, if you're working that hard, anything tastes pretty good. Oh, yeah. Although I'll take some Oreos. <laughs> so when you're out there, there obviously are going to be other troops most of the time. Are you interacting with them much, or is it sort of you're on your own, You, this is my ridgeline, that's yours? How does that work out?
0: A lot of times there are uh, crews or tricks that you might – be a few days behind mm. in what what their journey and what your journey and schedules are. So, there are times that you would interact with the same troop at certain trail camps. But generally, you are in the wilderness by yourself. You might pass one or two crews on a trail a day, maybe. And then there were some camps that you would stay at which of course would just be your troop, but then there were trail camps where it would be kind of a rendezvous or a collection of other troops and so these different trail camps would have different themes like a lumberjack logging operation or a horse riding horseback fur trading operation so there were these different opportunities where there might be you know 50 different troops plus all the crew members there and so you'd interact with them and see a show and have a chuck wagon dinner out you know with the thousands of stars above you but a lot of the times it was solo. It was a solo trip, and you had your crew of, you know, 8, nine, ten people, and that was it.
1: Chuck Wagons and a Rendezvous. It sounds like a Robert Redford film. Now, so thousands of stars, no UFOs, I imagine
0: not that we saw but you know of. let me tell you there were some strange experiences and see this property it was comprised of this huge tract of land that a gentleman named Waite Phillips had donated to the scouts in the late 1930s early 1940s he was a oil barren, if you will, and uh, you might even go to some of his gas stations now. Philip 66 is the same guy, and that's where the money came from to buy this property that he gave to the scouts, but the area had been inhabited by Native Americans and different tribes and groups for centuries prior to Philmont even being on the scene, and one of the groups that had inhabited this area... Uh, was the Ute, U-T-E Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tribe. And there's a place called Yoraka Mesa, which has had a long history of being believed to be a portal to the spirit worlds. And of course, one night, that was where we camped. And, you know, it's it's out of New Mexico. This hill is the place where the most lightning strikes in New Mexico every year, so. Oh good, camp there. Yeah, Oh yeah, camp good, there. Good so, plan. So we weren't on the top, we were down below the hill. Good, like but, that. but let me tell you, I woke up in the middle of the night with the strangest cold feeling that had come across the camp. Of course, everybody is asleep. Nobody was there to witness it but me, but the tent was bathed in this eerie, icy blue glow, and I was terrified. I didn't even want to open the tent, but I did, and the moon was just the most icy blue I have ever seen it, and they talk about the spirit world interacting with the physical world and how there's all these strange glows and Um, events that occur. And I tried to wake up my tent mate and he didn't wake up. So I'm the only one that experienced it. So as far as y'all know, I'm just telling tall tales. But there is quite the amount of historical and paranormal activity. But I'm just telling that to add flavor to this conversation, not to scare any groups headed out there or anyone that has a loved one out there, because it is the adventure of a lifetime.
1: And you came back, and you turned out just fine. So, you know, everybody's going to be (laughs) good. That's what they tell me. (laughs) That's what they tell you. So, you know, I know Felmont was created on the eighth day after a period of rest. It's a hallowed ground, 10-day trips, apparently portals. But there's also a, an old railroad there, isn't there? Like, like a, an abandoned railroad or it was a mining road or something?
0: There's abandoned railways. Everything. There's abandoned everything. There's communities, mining communities. There was a mountain called Baldy Mountain because it doesn't have trees or forest on it. It's just this huge grassy mountain. And there's at the base of it or... Kind of midway up, it's a place called Baldy Town, and that was an old Hmm. mining operation where there's old buildings that basically haven't been touched. There's old shells of cars from the 1920s and 30s that have just been rusting there for, you know, almost 100 years kind of thing, and so you're surrounded by this history. One thing that's amazing about that area is even though there's a lot of rain, there's um, low humidity. So once the rain comes, that humidity is gone and it dries up very quickly. So things can be very well preserved out there, especially with the cold, frigid winters. And so we would come upon stands of ponderosa pine trees, and in the middle of them would be these minor log cabins where they had been since the mid to late 1800s still sitting there. You could walk inside and, you know, there'd be glass bottles and whatever, just all of a sudden abandoned and left to the elements. So it's, it's magical.
1: Yeah, that, that is one of the unique things about kind of the Mountain West. You know, a long time ago, I worked on a dude ranch in Saddle String, Wyoming, in the Bighorn Mountains. And all of our uh, staff quarters came from different old cowboy camps and logging camps. And uh, a bunch of us lived in what was called the Salt Creek Cabins. And Salt Creek was, a, uh, a kind of a eighteen hundreds to early nineteen twenties massive cattle operation, and I was flipping through a book on the history of cowboys, and I saw that ranch, and I saw one of the buildings that had been moved to Upper Wyoming, where I lived, and it kind of freaked me out a little bit. I bet so. <laughs> you know, I bet it did. You know, you <laughs> see the, the the original inhabitants. Y'all were looking for Yosemite Sam to mix to mix cartoon metaphors there. That's right. It's pretty crazy. So. This is Philmont Scout Ranch is one of the scouting high adventure programs, which is part of scouting, but not necessarily a requirement. Not everybody does them, but what are these high adventure programs? That's right. Philmont is
0: one of four high adventure bases and programs. The others being Northern Tier, Mm -hmm. which is up on the United States-Canadian border, and so you go into the Algonquin Wilderness and canoe, and you're up in that part of the world. The other, or another, I should say, is Sea Base, which is located down... Um, farther south in Florida and you learn how to sail and you know fish and it's a, it's just a wild experience. There and then the fourth one is actually one of the newer additions, and it's the Bechtel Summit Reserve, which was a gigantic tract of land that was donated to the Boy Scouts uh, in West Virginia, which serves not only as the basis for the National Scout Jamborees and some of the World Scout Jamborees, but um, so much more.
1: Well, we're always up for an adventure here at the Carolina Outdoors. But first, a quick break. Stay with us for more from the Carolina Outdoors.